Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. He's given us another day, has He not? Another opportunity to lift up His name. He's called us as His people, a people who were not a people, but are now called the people of God. So as God's people, what are we to do? In the words of the great thinker and teacher Francis Schaeffer, how, how should we then live? It's a good question, but I was thinking this week as I was preparing my message, there might be a question that is just as relevant than how should we then live? And the question is, is how should we then die? Jesus showed us how to do that. David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave us words In fact, he gave words to the Son of God on the cross as he suffered. We're memorizing it as a congregation over the next three months. I hope you hear these words and remember that they were the words of Christ. Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Can you imagine Christ on the cross who said those very words? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried unto thee, and they were delivered. They trusted in thee, and they were not confounded. But I am a worm, and and no man, and a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All that see me laugh. They laugh me to scorn, and they shoot out their lip, and they, they shake their head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, saying, He delights in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. For thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, O God. Trouble is near. And there is none to help me. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. They gaped upon me with their mouths. As ravening as a roaring lion, I am poured out like water. 
My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all of my bones. They look and they stare upon me. They parted my garments among them and they cast lots for my vesture. Oh, be now not far from me, O Lord, O strength. In my haste to help me, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee, yea, that fear the Lord. Praise him, all ye seed of Jacob. Glorify him, and, oh, and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried, he, he heard him. My place shall be of thee in the congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied, and they shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he is governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All that go down to the dust shall bow before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. And it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That. He hath done this. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we hear in Psalm 22 our call to worship. The prayer of a desperate man. The prayer of a man who so much wants your deliverance and cries for it. But your deliverance does not come. Oh, what agony it must have been for Christ who called upon you and who quoted these words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even in doing so, being the Son of God and of course the Word of God, He knew the answer. He was forsaken because He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Salvation did not come to Christ on the cross so that salvation could come to us here and now. We know this, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, may we also hear today, as we hear your word and as it shapes and changes our hearts, may we realize that you have called us to die, that you have called us to give everything we have to you and to others, that we indeed might love our neighbors as ourselves. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Remain standing for just a few minutes. My text is from Psalm 31. You know, 
um, preaching through the Bible and preaching what comes next is very challenging. Um, but I believe God's Word has messages in it for us rather than us looking for support for messages we have in our, on our own. Amen? And so as we come to Psalm 31, uh, this will be a difficult thing to face, but it is what God has called us to do. And so we're going to look at it. We cannot look away from it. Psalm 31, I'm just going to read the first five verses, but I'm going to endeavor to uh, encapsulate what I believe God is teaching in the whole song. Psalm 31, starting in verse 1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily and be thou my strong rock. For in house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately for me. For thou art my strength. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. For thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, we've heard enough of men's words. They're always tearing at our minds and our hearts to distract and to entertain us. But Lord, we long right now in this place to hear you speak to our hearts, change us by your words, the words that when we're spoken, they brought the world into existence, the word that is spoken in us that may it bring forth new life and peace. In Christ's name we pray and God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Into thy hands. It's the title of my message. Seems to me the most important line in the psalm for a number of reasons. This 24 verse psalm of David contains great wisdom and insight into the dyings. Dyings, plural. You know that's not even an actual word. They, they keep wanting to correct me. The dyings. I guess people figure once you've died, that's all you can do. But it's a word we need to use. The dyings of Christ as well as the dyings he has called all of us to. In the well-known words of our good German brother Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book, The Cost of Discipleship, most of you know this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and come and die. He was simply saying what Jesus said more than once while he prepared his followers for the day that he would leave them. Because after that, it would be their turn to die. And they did. Jesus was never clearer than in Luke 9.23-25 through 25 when He said this, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for My sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away. Now we know we are called to do this, but we don't often understand what this means or even how to do it, right? How do we do this? 
Dying for Jesus, literally dying, seems pretty straightforward. At least it does at, at a glance. I'm not saying it would be easy. I'm just saying I think we all know what actions would be required of us to do this, right? You know, happened at Columbine. Some of you may remember. Young Christian girl. A man crazed with a gun, a young boy. Puts a gun to her head and says, deny Jesus now or die. And what does she do? She said, I can't do that. And she died as he shot her. We go out and preach the gospel in a dangerous place and we're taken in our work like Bonhoeffer was and others and burned or drowned or put in an arena with lions. As horrible as these things are to imagine, we at least think we can imagine it. But can we? So what did Jesus mean, though, when he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily? I think, and and you're not going to hear too many people talk like this, uh, but I'm going to do it today. We hear people talk about dying daily because... We think we're doing that, right? There's only one chicken leg left on the platter in the middle and you defer to your husband and you eat it, Brother Derek. And we're, we're dying in that moment because we really wanted the dark meat. We, we like that. We imagine that when others are uh, praised and we are not, that somehow we're dying. We're really just putting it out there, you know, if people could just notice me and the greatness things that I do, but we'll die to that. We think we're dying. We think this is what Jesus is talking about. It's not enough that, it's not as though we can be martyred every day, right? You can't be martyred every day. I mean, so, so Jesus probably isn't saying that. What he's saying is it's this dying. It's this self-denial. And God is calling us to that. Amen? He's calling us to esteem our brothers, as it was said by Brother Steve in his prayer, esteem others better than ourselves, to uh, defer to others, to forbear, to be harmed by them, be sinned against. David when, when the disciples asked Jesus how many times a brother was able to sin against you before you could, you know, be off the hook for forgiving him, seven times, right? That'd be a lot. And Jesus said, no. How about seven times 70? Jesus called them to this. And, and this is kind of what we think we're doing when we look around at our children and our wives and we look around at our church people and they hurt our feelings and they upset us and they don't do like we want them. And we, we feel very selfless. When we just take it, take it, take one for the team. The famous words of the American Revolutionary War hero, Nathaniel Hale, spy for the Continental Army. He was captured by the British and before they killed him, he said, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. And in a sense, you do only have one life to give, but there are dyings that we're going to talk about here. We can only do 
this physical death once, it seems so much like an impossibility that we really give it very little thought. It seems so far away from us. It seems that it's in a great story like the story of Alban or the story here of Nathaniel Hale or even Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We know about the other dying. At least we talk about it. Dying to what we want, how we want it, when we want it. And it's very real, but I really think that we have set that as our highest bar. And there's a whole nother bar. So what did Jesus mean by this dying? And I think that we have relegated it to self-denial. And, and truly, self-denial is a dying. You know, If you fast for several days in a row, you aren't going to like it. Your body will cry out. There will be pain associated with it. You will be delirious. Oh. When you really, really want things to go a certain way, or when you really hope and, and pray and desire for something and it doesn't happen, there is a dying that happens. Either that or you're going to rage, right? Now, I believe, though, if we can understand what Jesus is actually asking us to do, I think that we're going to understand that it is the hardest saying of all of his sayings. But to understand it and to observe it are going to be very different things. I do believe that if we could somehow understand it and put this into practice, though, we, will, we would overcome the world. In fact, I believe that we will learn this. I believe it is where Christianity is going I don't think we're going in, uh, down the trajectory of political dominance of the world. I think what's going to happen is we're going to learn how to die. Jesus said it won't be because we get, you know, you know because the president becomes a Christian. It won't be because we pass all the laws to live like Christians. There will be something else that happens. And we've seen this happen. In fact, we saw how Rome was conquered by Christians dying in the arena. We saw how all over the world, the Bible, the, not the Bible, but really we have come to understand our church fathers say that the blood of the martyrs or the lives of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God's calling some people to die for real. Dying out there is one thing. Dying in here to your own will. It's, it's another, but I think we've actually put it above the physical dying that we are actually called to do. Dying that Jesus did, the, the dying he did before he died. The agonizing was... It was in a different way, right? He's in the garden. He's there. He's praying. He knows death is coming. He knows shame is coming. He knows what is coming is going to be horrendous. And so what does he do? He agonizes. Man, it seems, is often they think in their minds they're, they're able to give their body to be burned or do great things or do that dramatic thing. They think they're able to do that because why? Because they aren't doing it. That's why. And we talk about the rareness of self-denial. You know, I don't think it's rare. I think it's practically non-existent. God is calling us to the dying that Christ did, but the dying that Christ did was not just in the garden. 
right? Where he comes to the point and he said, okay, if there be any other way, let it come that way. But no, no, it, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. We set that as the highest bar, but that's not all that Jesus did for us. He did that and more. So let's look at this in Psalm 31. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, verse 1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed and deliver me in thy righteousness. The entire psalm can be summed up in these words. Trust God. That's what it's about. Because trusting God in self-denial, in actual death, in our weakness... It is the most difficult thing that we face. Theoretical trusting God, whatever. Actual trusting God is really, really challenging. You know, I get up here and I say, hey, have faith. Have faith. It's going to be great. It's one thing until the market collapses and all of our money disappears out of the banks and we're, you know, eating groundhogs. Yeah. Our land isn't just something we cut our grass over, but we're praying to God that rain comes down and crops grow so that we can feed our hungry children. Then we would actually know what it meant to trust God, but we don't know anything about that. We got stores, we got money, we got cousins and uncles and and people that would help us in a government and, and so many safety nets. We don't even have any idea what it is to trust God. But we've made ourselves think we can. In theory, we trust God. We believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him, as it says in Hebrews 11.6. But I can tell you right now, if I pulled out a, 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 uh, a 2 by 12 about 8 foot long, and I stretched it between these two pews right here, how many of you would trust the strength of the board to hold you? Come on, raise your hand if you do it. Well, why not? Right? What is that? No big deal. In fact, I almost wish I would have brought one. <laughs> have you guys tried out? Everyone, you'd walk, kids would walk down, little padded seats, and then they would just kind of right over it, no big deal. Right? Raise it up about 10 stories and put it between two buildings. <laughs> Volunteers, all oh, we would have the few brave ones, you know, who. Or stupid ones, you know. (laughs) No problem, right? Until we put it there. And now what? Well, I mean, I know it would hold me, but I'm not not stupid enough to walk across it. Your knees would wobble. (laughs) That's what trusting God is really like. Because when you really trust in God for your life, and you really trust it. It isn't when you're two foot off the ground across two chairs. Life is ten stories high. Amen? Amen? Now, as we know, David had numerous times to try this out. I mean, come on. He had no choice. He had to walk the plank or die by the sword of Saul or of the Philistines. We can trust that God at 10 feet, though, or at 10 stories, and it isn't any harder for God. 
He's trustworthy. The board is never going to break. Amen? We can trust God. We will never be disappointed or let down. We will never fall because his strength never gives out. Folks, we don't believe this, though. Because we're all fine and dandy until we actually have to do it. In verse 2, David calls on the Lord to hear his prayer and come to his rescue in a hurry. We don't like to wait when we're in trouble. We want help when? Right? Could you imagine calling 911, Andy, and call them on the phone, and they're like, how you doing? Yeah, I got we're kind of busy right now. Maybe... Maybe an hour or something, we'll send somebody your way. How would you feel if, you know, you're, you know, working out there with a the chainsaw and you cut your child's leg and you're seeing blood spurt out of the femoral artery and you're just like, ah, and you call. They're like, you get on hold music. <laughs> do, 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 do. No, no, no. When do you want help? When you call on God, when do you want help, guys? He says, bow down thine ear. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. He's calling on God. He says he trusts in God, but he's wanting God to come in a hurry. Time and again, David has seen God's deliverance. He's reminding himself of God's power. And that's one thing we do when we're waiting for someone to come and save us. We're like, I, I see that the text message was delivered. Jeff got it. Jeff knows that I'm stranded out here. He said he was coming. Jeff always comes. Jeff, Jeff wouldn't, Jeff, do you ever do this? Jeff wouldn't just not come. And, and so you're talking to yourself as you're getting colder and colder and colder. It's 10 below zero, you're like. That's what David's doing. He's like, you know, thou art my rock, my fortress. Therefore, for thy namesake, lead me and guide me. David's singing this song, but he's talking about what goes on inside the heart of the mind. Lord, save me. Save me quick. Be here, Lord. You've saved me in times past. Lord, could you do that again? Verse 4, pull me out of the net that they've laid for me, for thou art my strength. I'm in the net right now, God. Please come and get me out. It seems to me that the, what the psalm is happening here is that David continues to call on God. Why? Because God isn't coming. He keeps calling. That's what we do. You know, uh, hey, maybe I'll try Jeff again. He's not answering the phone. Okay. Okay. One of our, one of our relatives, uh, Andrea's brother, lost his eye last week. Uh, his, his, his retina ruptured and... It was horrible. And uh, they, he has no sight in this eye. His wife, uh, you know, he, he's brutal. He just goes right back to work. One eye. You know, he can't see. He, he's just, you know, it's dark. He's at work. His wife is calling on the phone. He won't answer the phone. So what do you do? You're like scared. He's not answering the phone. He's not home from work. He should be home from work. She gets in the car. She's driving. She's looking for him. And he's just at work. He forgot. In that moment, though, she's panicking. She's like, i got to get a hold of somebody. Something's got to happen right now. So she gets in her car. It's what we do. We lose our trust in God, but we keep going. We keep calling. We keep calling. We keep asking. And that's what's going on in the psalm. God, are you there? Can you hear me, God? God? God, it's your servant. Remember you saved me before? Remember you, you know, we've trusted you. Things have been going good. Lord, please. That's what's going on. 
God doesn't always show up five seconds after we call, even though his line is never busy. This makes it more difficult for us. For our good, he leaves us in that difficult place calling on him, and it seems that he has not heard us, and that he may not be coming at all. And I'll tell you, as I was reading this, and I was, I was living in this moment that David was living in here, it reminded me of something in 2 Corinthians. I'm very thankful that I read. And when I read it, it really brought this home. And I hope that it does it for you. Once again, we're talking about dying here. Isn't this is very exciting? How God is calling you to suffer and die. And he might not come and when you want him to come. And he may leave you in it. And you may suffer and suffer and suffer. Isn't that exciting? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. The Apostle Paul says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Now, Andy, I like to imagine things. I like to try to imagine them. But I'm trying to imagine being the Apostle Paul, who has raised the dead, who has done all of what he's done, who was cast in prison, and God sent an earthquake, and an angel led him out, or... You know, this happened to Peter. It happened to Paul and Silas when they sang praise, right? These great men of God, he's there. And it says five times he was beaten 40 times, save one. So I just wanted to try to imagine the very first time, Elizabeth, just the first time. I mean, God is, you know responds to him, answers his prayers, heals people, touches people, and now all he needs is God to keep him from getting beat. And so they lead him out, and they lead him to the place where they're going to beat him, and they tie him up. And I, I bet you the whole time, you know what he's going, okay, Lord, I'm ready. When's the angel coming? Lord, deliver me. Lord, in your great and mighty power, send the angels to smite my enemies. I don't know what he prayed, but I would have probably prayed something like that. And then he leaned forward with his bare back and... Maybe, maybe I got to get one of these, Brother Chris, so that I know what it feels like, you know? I've been beat with a switch my, over my whole body. It hurts. I can't imagine being tied up and told you're about to be beat with one. And then walking up deliberately and just one after what, 39 times. I know you might say, Pastor Mark, don't camp out here. This is graphic. Yeah. This is what Paul said. He's being beaten. And I imagine, Brother Steve, he's praying, Lord, deliver me. Lord, help me. Lord, get me out of this. Lord, show up like you've always shown up before. And for 39 in a row, bam, 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 as he's bleeding, as he's hurting, and God doesn't show up. And guess what? Another time it happens. And another time it happens. And another time. You can't just, just hearing me say another time. I didn't even say five. I only said three. Five times. Then it said he was beaten of rods three times. Then it said he was stoned. Now, can you imagine that? Imagine Laura being taken out in your neighborhood and then picking up rocks and hitting you and hitting you in the head and hitting you all over your body and you're waiting for the Lord to deliver you, but he does not. 
and they hit you with so many rocks, Benita, that you're laying there and you're bleeding, and they all think, well, she just must be dead, and they walk off. This is terrible. And you go, Pastor Mark, what are you doing? I'm leading you where the scriptures are leading us here because this is trusting God. Have you prayed and God did not come like you thought he should? While praying in faith, believing that he would? I know some of you have and God did not come. When I read about him being shipwrecked, I'm telling you, the beatings, they're, they're scary. Could you imagine being all night floating in the sea, in the deep, not knowing if you're going to be eaten by a shark at any moment, all night long, wondering if God's going to come? I mean, he had been shipwrecked on an island and, and you know, been bitten by a snake and, and, and shook it off in the fire. Or am I remembering Peter? Who, it, I get Peter and Paul sometimes confused in these stories. I think it was Paul on Miletus. He's like, God, you showed up, but now it's all night long and I'm in the sea and I'm suffering and, and Lord, where are you? And so God, you know what God did? He left him there, Ryan. And you go, where, where are you going with this? I'm going with this. God calls us to die. What do you think he was doing? What do you think he was doing all night? You think he was happy? You think he liked it? You think he liked the beatings and the stonings and the scourgings and the perils by his brethren, perils of robbers? He was robbed. You would think the man of God could not be robbed, stolen from and beaten and stoned and left bleeding on the side of the road. And Paul's like, I was more often than I can really even remember. That won't sell. Nobody, there'll be nobody writing a book and crowds, you know, reciting this passage and claiming it. Lord, expand the tents of my persecution. Folks, you know God's calling us to die? Not just figuratively, not just in self-denial, not just in fasting uh, one Tuesday every couple weeks. He's causing us to real physical pain and difficulty and suffering for the gospel. Are you, are you willing to do that? Or would you somehow think that God had let you down? In journeys often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, peril by my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, not fastings he wanted, in cold and in nakedness. This is not a very encouraging list for the people of God today. Come to Jesus. He'll make sure nothing bad ever happens to you and then all will go well. And You'll have a beautiful, nice family and things are going to go perfect for you. And You'll be so much happier than the heathen because they don't know real joy. You can know joy. But do you know where Paul says his joy comes from? My joy comes in these painful, horrendous things that God does not deliver me from, that when I pray, he doesn't come when I call. He goes on in the next chapter to explain about a, 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 an affliction beyond these things, a thorn in his flesh where he prayed over and over, but God did not bring him deliverance, but he let him know, I actually sent this to you through the devil to buffet you because that's what you needed. 
How many of us wonder if our difficulties really are sent to us from God? How many of you want to be used of God? I'll tell you right now, I don't think most of us could be. We're just so selfish and self-absorbed. I was experiencing a little trial of my own, and I was just thinking about, and I, in fact, I was uh, hanging out with Jonathan. We were washing the dishes together, and I was thinking about this difficulty of my own, and I'm thinking, you know, what I really need is I need a break. You know, I just need just a, and I've been hearing about all my pastor friends, they take these sabbaticals. They take these, and I'm like, man, that'd be, man, that'd be nice. Wouldn't that be fantastic if I could just, you know, take three months, like six months? That's what they do. They, they go and they just, they heal up. I'm like, that's what I need. About that time, the Lord brings this to my mind. He said, and besides all this, besides the list I just gave you, I have the care of all the churches. And Luke, I'm like, okay. Do you know you don't get a break from being a man of God? You don't get a break from dying. And I don't think we should look for one. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? Do I burn not? Am I not a man? If needs to glory, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in the things which concern my infirmities. We talk about putting others first. Those are very important dying, but I think it is beyond that. Paul had a very real physical dying that he needed to do where God was going to be glorified. Are you ready to sign up for that today? We can hardly fast for one day, pamper our flesh so much because we are so very alive. But there is a dying in the flesh that God is calling his people to do. It's not crucifixion. We get, we're not atoning for anyone's sins. But we're pressing through the veil of flesh that hampers us from loving our neighbor, loving our brothers and sisters, loving the lost, and going out and bringing the gospel to them at great cost to our physical bodies. Oh, God, has it called me to that? I'm just going to live a good, quiet life before him. You won't go where Psalm 31.5 is going to take us. For the believer, after this death, there's resurrection. Coming to grips with this is sheer agony, but with it, I believe the greatest rewards of the Christian life. Christ living in us and through us. Here in verse 5, we see the surrender that David comes to after he's praying that God will come, and he's realizing he isn't going to come. He surrenders in verse 5, into thy hands. I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O God. O Lord God of truth. Does this sound familiar to you? Because it should. It's quoted by Jesus as he hung on the cross, not merely dying a figurative death, dying a real one. Actually beaten, actually pierced, heaving his burning lungs under the weight of his body that was tearing on his flesh. Jesus is calling us to that. 
They were his last words. When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having done this, he gave up the ghost. You know, the last words of men are very important words. And I quoted Nathaniel Hale's last words. And as I have read history, it seems that many great men and women were, uh, their last words were written down and they were meant to count, especially those who were martyred. These words fit both of these conditions, so I think it's appropriate to put extra weight on their meaning. Jesus, Brother Andy, when he was hanging on the cross, he saw himself in Psalm 31, 5. And he quoted it. And that's where we are today. There naked before all, after his work was done, all the work that he had set out to do, facing the grip of death itself, he said the words from our psalm. He had wrestled with his will in the garden and crushed it so that it came out as blood and sweat. And now his body abused and broken. These words came out as his last words. His first dying indeed with, O oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But his second dying was not figurative. It was absolute. His flesh was beaten and mocked, bloodied, pierced through, overcome with suffocation. On the cross between the two malefactors in Jerusalem, his own city, only steps from Zion and from the temple, the gospel writers record a series of his last words in his final three hours of life. They've become the seven sayings of the cross. They've been used for centuries. You see, Jesus taught us how to die. For real. And we need to learn that lesson today. People that want to remember them can write them down in seven words. Forgiveness. Salvation. Relationship. Abandonment. Distress. Triumph. And reunion. They are an accent. They are there to accent his work that he had done on this earth. Now, we, we can't go through all of them. It would take me forever. But I'm just going to read to you what Jesus was doing when he was dying. So that you know what to do when you are. He cried out, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. When life's circumstances are killing you. Jesus taught us to forgive the people inflicting the pain. Luke 23, 43, Truly I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. In the midst of his own dying, you know what he did? He offered, he offered salvation. Imagine if that was what was on our mind. My salvation isn't coming today. Oh, but yours is. I'm going to die. Today, oh, but today you're going to be with me in paradise, salvation. Even in the midst of his dying, he wasn't thinking about himself. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, pointing to John. He was thinking about relationship and the people that 
he had been given to love. This is what we do when we're dying. Matthew 27 and Mark 15 record Jesus saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And sometimes in the middle of it all, we just come to understand that we're about to die. That our relief is not coming. John 19 simply records, I thirst. What is he doing? He's, like the psalm said, his mouth is... His tongue is cleaving to the inside of his mouth. He's suffering, folks. Dying is not easy. John 19.30, it is finished. It's accomplished. There's a triumph in it. He realized that in and through his death, that God was doing something greater than could have been done through his life. And I'm going to say that again. Jesus spoke what he knew, that what was done in his death was greater than what could have been done in his life. How many of you believe that? Oftentimes, if you really thought about it, you'd think, you know, Jesus, if he would have lived longer, he could have done so much more good. No, he couldn't. He could have done some good things, but he couldn't have done any more than what he, what he did when he died. What he did when he died wrought our salvation. There's no greater work. His work was done. Sometimes when we realize what we've been sent for and its purpose, we can come to a place of triumph in Christ. And then at the end, he comes to Luke 23, 46. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, as he quotes Psalm 31, 5. It must be the very heart of the psalm for Jesus to have quoted it. Oftentimes, psalms revolve around a central theme. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. The psalmist sums life in a few words. This is who I am. I have hated them that regarded lying, but I trust. I will be glad and rejoice in mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble and hast known my soul in adversities. Thou hast not shut me up in the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Do you see what he's declaring? The psalmist is declaring, God, I know you've never left me. I know you brought me here. I know even though it feels like I'm in the hands of this death that I'm in, I realize I am in your very own hands. I have hated them that regard vanities, but trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy. For thou hast considered my trouble, hast known the soul of my adversities. Thou hast not shut me up in the hand of thine enemy and set my feet in a large room. This is the way it is. He returns to his prayer in verse 9 about his present circumstance. And this is where Christ was. He knew that death was coming. He knew that it was, that it was what he came for and there was no deliverance from it. David could only see this prophetically because God always delivered David. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. And as I begin to read this part of the psalm, I begin to see these words. And at first I wondered if grief was just a, a, a chosen word here, but it, it really continues. And I begin to see that sometimes, I, you guys are familiar with the stages of grief. You've heard about them, right? But I think in our own dying, I think we go through stages of grief for ourselves. And I think that maybe we go through them 
in an ungodly way. Because we should not grieve for our own death that we offer to God. We should go to our death the way Christ did. With abandonment. With triumph. With forgiveness. Thinking of those that we love. Offering ourselves fully. I don't want to take this too far. I'm going to just mention the stages of grief. Their denial. Anger. Bargaining. Depression. But I actually like the last one because it's where everybody has to go. Acceptance. You see, it's the only destination that works because you can't do anything about it. It's not like you can be so mad you can bring them back. It's not like you can, you know, you can bargain and somehow fix it all. It's not going to happen. And in the end, what do you got to do? You just got to accept it. I think this is how the natural man deals with grief, but on the cross, Jesus showed us a better way. Everybody say forgiveness. forgiveness. The salvation of others. Salvation of Relationship. Relationship. Abandonment. Abandonment. Distress. Distress. Triumph. Triumph. And reunion. reunion. With some work, we could line these two lists up and I could show you where there's a better way. We don't have time to do that. But sin is the root of our denial, our anger, our depression. But in the end, we all have to come to accept. And in the end, there will be a reunion with God. We will come to into thy hands. I commend my spirit. David faced his grief in verse 10. He said, for my life is spent with grief. My years with sighing. My strength fails because of mine iniquity. And my bones are consumed. David knew that his own sin was the cause of his man-made grief. In Christ, Paul teaches us this better way, a dying that doesn't end with the forced acceptance because at the end of our fight, we lose and we come to realize there's nothing we can do about it. But in the end, for the man and the woman of God, we come to realize that we win. Because in our death, the death of the believer, there is victory. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we faint not. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine to them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this great treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power of God may not be of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, that his life also might be made manifest in our body. For which sake we, for, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I am going to die serving you. They're eventually going to kill me. But that's all right with me. Because I know what it's going to do in you.
Oh, would be to God we could come to that place of acceptance and understanding that our lives are given to us so that we can give them to God in life and in death. Verse 16, for this cause we faint not, for though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not, for the things which are not are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me read the rest of the psalm for you. I was a reproach among mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear of mine acquaintances. They that saw me fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind, and I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many, fear was on every side, and while they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. He's talking about scheming, lying, treachery, uh, abandonment, all of it. And David is saying, yeah, that's what they had in mind for me, but God had something else in mind. But what did I do? Verse 14, I trusted in the Lord and I said, you're my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Verse 16, make thy face to shine upon thy servant and save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called unto thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteousness. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Don't we want to learn to trust God today? Thou shalt hide them in the secret place of thy presence. From the pride of men, thou shalt keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of other men's tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from thine eyes. Nevertheless, you heard my voice, the voice of my supplications when I cried. Oh, love the Lord, O ye saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and he plentifully rewards the proud doer. Be of courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. This week in your meditations, maybe go to Luke 23 and read Jesus' last words on the cross and hear how even at the very moment of his death, he came to the point of triumph and reunion with God. His last words from Psalm 31.5. May they be our words this week. Into thy hands, O God, I commend my spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, what powerful words from your scriptures that address such leanness of soul that we have. O God, I aspire to this. I so much want to live for you and not just deny my own will, which is practically impossible for me sometimes, but Lord, I want to just give my body to be abused and to be hurt and to be used and to be spent for you, Lord. It is yours to do with what you will. And Lord, may I find joy as the apostle Paul did in the infirmities that come to pass, for I know they are coming. I want them, Lord. I don't want what this world has to offer me. The pleasures of it are empty. 
and fleeting. Oh, Lord God, use me to save people, Lord. Use my life. Hang me on a cross so that I might speak to a malefactor, oh God. Lord, let me be mocked and humiliated as you were if that brings salvation to others. Oh God, have your way in me, Lord, body and soul and spirit. Take me completely, Lord, and use me for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.